back in about <clears throat> in 1990, 1991, right in that time period. I went through one of the most difficult periods of my life. Probably the most difficult period. I was uh, a young man of 30. I graduated with seminary, and I was in a church. Uh, near St. Louis, Missouri, and likely the most difficult church that I've served while I've been a, a pastor. I was working on my doctorate and pastoring this church and to kind of uh, make things a little more clear, our, our son was born in that time period too. So I walked with <clears throat> a lot of stress during that time, but one morning I woke up and everything just seemed different. But the primary thing that seemed different was that I was Doubting deeply, not just my faith, the Christian faith. I was doubting the existence of God along with the authority of the Bible and all of the doctrines therein. I just had to admit to myself that I had, I had crossed the line. Now, I remind you, I'm pastoring a church full-time during this period. Every week, working with discipline and rigor on, on every sermon, to uh, just like I do to this day, for every sermon to be fresh and from God, and, and I... Uh, bring an expository uh, message that that fills your heart with truth and hope. And so I was working every week to stand in the pulpit to preach a message that I didn't believe. <clears throat> I, I suffered with this. I struggled with this. It was nine months to a year period of time. But finally going through all, all of these contradictions in my mind, one, one symbol of truth came forward. One hopeful reality that I could, that I could dig my fingers in and and plant my feet in. And that reality was this. If the Bible is really the Word of God, if the Bible is true, 
then what I believe is true, what I've always believed since I became a Christian, if the Bible is true, then that is true. And, and I'm okay. But it all seemed to stand or fall. My, my doubting of everything, it all seemed to stand or fall on the trustworthiness of God's Word. If the Bible is true, if it's really true, no games played, no, no uh, turning of the phrase, I, is the Bible truth that I can hold to and, and always believe in and hope in is this reality or am I playing a game and lying to people every time I get in the pulpit? I had graduated seminary at this time and so I knew what I needed to do. It's a study called textual criticism, and I'll, instead of trying to read it, uh, remember it, I'll just read it to you. Textual criticism is the study of text origins. It's the investigative tool scholars use to determine original letters written by the apostles. That's really not a true statement, though, because the fact is, We've got our Bible, but the original, what's called the original autographs, the, the pages that the Bible writers wrote on, all of those are gone. But there are copies of what they wrote, and copies of copies, and copies of copies, and even more as they excavate the areas and they find these in, in mason jars and scrolls. That's how the Bible was formed. And, <clears throat> and so I knew enough, having gone through these studies, to know what I needed to do. So I went back and I immersed myself until it became clear. And the longer I studied, the more I poured over it, one reality became clear over and over to me. And that is this. It would take more faith to believe that this is not a supernatural holy book than to believe it is true. In reality, looking at it as objectively as I could, I finally came to that truth. That holy cow... It is true. It is real. And I want you to know when that happened, the thousand pound weight lifted off of me. All of my questions were answered. All of my doubts were fulfilled. Everything that I had gone through and suffered through those many months now came to the point 
of release. And as that release, peace filled me. And I was able to attack, you know, the Word of God in preaching with a new vigor. Because not only is it true in reality, that means it's true for me and that means it's true for you and true for you. It is the holy book. There's one word that's very important to try to understand why the Bible and how the Bible is a holy book. That's the word inspiration. There are two reasons that the word inspiration uh, is important in this study. Uh, First of all, because it's a word that speaks of how the Bible became the Bible. The word inspiration tells us how God made the Bible his word. Also, the word inspiration is a biblical term. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, there's going to be two passages important in the remainder of this study. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Peter 1.21. 2 Peter 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. There it is, listen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness in order that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, likewise, two points with the word inspiration. The inspiration of Scripture. The term inspiration identifies how God made The Bible, his word. You with me? The word inspired, in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word inspired by God, the word inspired is a Greek word, theos pneumatos. Now that will be important in just a second, so hold with me. That means inspiration. And it's made of two words, theos, which is God, and pneumatos, which is spirit or breath. It's literally to exhale. So here's what happened. God literally exhaled his word into his writers. He breathed his word. Remember, he spoke the world into creation. He then breathed out his word into his chosen writers. And then how this actually happened. How God 
breathed out his word into his chosen writers. And then secondly, how the writers got God's word onto the page. Second Peter 1.21 says that for, no, for prophecy never came by the will of man. And prophecy here are words of God. Never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Scripture. Now here's the picture. God chose certain men to carry His Word and put it into print. Those, were, those chosen writers are the writers of the Bible. And the Bible says here that God moved them. That word moved literally means to be carried away. The idea is that you are carried like a ship is on the sea. So the Spirit of God cradled these chosen men and He moved them. He, he, he filled them. He caused them. He led them. And He wrote, the Spirit wrote through them the original autographs, holy and perfect and infallible and inerrant. Word of God. Now you say, well, how does that matter? Does it really matter? <clears throat> Not only does it matter absolutely, but it matters a lot in my life early on. It saved this preacher, the holy truth of God. Now, for the remainder of time that uh, I have, Oh, one more, one more word. There's one more term important in, in understanding this process of how God spoke his word into preordained chosen apostles, writers, and then God, and then the Spirit of God picked them up and carried them and moved them and anchored them and forced them and drove them into writing the precise text of Holy Scripture. One more term. It's the very first word in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's a little bitty word that we sometimes just brush over. But here it's everything. It's the word all. A-L-L. The Greek term is almost as small. It's pasa. P-A. Translatory P-A-S-A. Pasa. Very important word in God's scripture. Because here this, the, the Bible literally says about itself. That when God breathed his writ into these men and the Spirit of God carried them as he did to write the original autographs, perfect, holy, infallible, and complete, 
what happened was God did it complete. When God did it, he included everything. When the scripture says all scripture is inspired by God, it means 100% of it is inspired by God. Not 99%. Not some of the passages we don't like. Complete and every word, all, every scripture is inspired by God. Now, you know why I'm sharing this with you. Not only Christians do we need to uh, be reminded of this, but listen, there is an attack on the word today. You know that. It is a fierce attack on the word of God, the credibility of scripture, and the holiness of God. And if the church doesn't stand for truth Who is going to today? Nobody. It's us. We cannot let the truth be denied. And quickly, here's why. But let me let me let me share it to you in in this context. When I was in seminary. Uh, we had two terms uh, that we used. Let me see if I can find it in my notes. Okay, where is it? <clears throat> well, see, I remember. <clears throat> You have to give me a redo on that when I cannot remember it. And that's sad that I'm getting so old. But here's, here's the point. <clears throat> we believe in absolute truth. What God says, you remember what we used to say? If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then we transitioned into, if God said it, that settles it. If I believe it or not. Remember? But that used to be the the stated line of the church. That was the bulwark of the church of Jesus Christ in this world today. That the word was the word of God. And for a long time there were attacks without And in today's world, there are attacks within. More people today doubt and disbelieve the credibility of the Word of God than ever before. More people, percentage-wise, in church, Christian people, church people, are doubting And questioning the Word of God. Here's why. 
We believe God's word is truth, holy truth, nothing but the truth. And whenever we encounter something in the world, we look at it through the vision of the truth of God. The Bible gives us our parameters in how we see the world and the events of the world and the events that happen in my life. But someone else over here encounters God in the world and doesn't like it. And so he begins to get more and more angry that God thinks he can control his life. And so a group of them get together and they begin to wonder and and pick out scriptures that are questionable. And so the movement started. And it continues today in this form. Let's take the subject of uh, living together. We used to call it cohabitating. A man and woman living as husband and wife, but yet are not. Let's just take that subject. If you're, I don't know, 45 or younger, or 40 or younger, or I'm sorry, 40 or older, you were raised in a culture. the, The whole culture embraced the truth that an unwed young man and unwed young woman should not live together without being married. Didn't we? That we grew up in that culture. Not just church culture, not just church against culture, but but everybody believed that. Didn't didn't they? I mean I mean only those, you know, on the ragged edge dared to uh, live together in the same house and let it be known back in uh, 20 years ago to however 30 years ago. <laughs> but did you know that's not the case today? More people today believe it's okay to live together before marriage than believe it's wrong. Yeah, that's a change in culture. Now, we, we ask who's right, but let me tell you how this started, how this transitioned. Some old boy is talking to a friend that he trusts, and he says something like, They're drinking beer together and talking. And he says, you know, I'm not saying I think it's okay for a man and woman to live together before they're married. But I've got this uh, niece, and she's a wonderful girl, but her parents are moving away once she graduated high school. But she wants to stay here. She's going to enroll in the the, uh, junior college, and her boyfriend is is here and 
and they're real close and real tight and they're dating a while and she really loves him and he's already got an apartment, he's graduated, he's got a job and it's near her school. It would be a perfect setup for her. Then she wouldn't have to pay her own place and 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 all the bills that come in and the education bills that are coming. She wouldn't have to deal with uh, the, the stress of money if she just moved in with the guy. And the fellow says, yeah, you know what? That, that's right. There probably are times when it's best to do that. And so it starts. And the gap widens and the gap widens. Truth Believers like us will say, when we encounter God in life, we encounter it through a biblical understanding. We interpret it through the Bible. But those way on the left will say this, well, no. You know, you can, you can take the Bible, but the circumstances that's involved, that's what's important. And so a whole genre of people gathered around the, 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 the flagpole that it's not just the Bible, but it's circumstances too. Their attitude was what makes sense. What's logic? And then they get angry and they just keep going further and further left. Again, I will tell you the danger I know that most, if not every one of you believe this wholeheartedly. But if you haven't yet you will one day be attacked in some way, probably just verbal, but if someone sees you carrying a Bible, we're moving toward that day. And if we back down on the truth now, we will get into this convoluted system where the circumstances play over God. Where the circumstances dictate God. And if we have to live by the standards and judgments of man over God, we're doomed. It's been proven many, many times over that if you blindfold a person, any person, and tell them to walk in a straight line, They will walk straight for a few feet. But every time, they will veer off to the left and end up making a circle 
And if they keep walking, they'll just keep getting tighter and tighter circles until they just fall over. The point being that mankind's intuitiveness will always go to the left. But the real point is this. For anyone to walk in a straight line, there has to be a fixed point out there for us to walk to. And that fixed point is the Holy Writ. The Word of God. And if this becomes subservient to the thinking of crooked man, doomed.